for the last few weeks. We've been talking uh, from 1 Peter, the epistle of 1 Peter. It comes right before the epistle of 2 Peter. And it's odd how that works out, but it's, uh, it, it does work out. And we were talking about uh, overcomers being overcomers in the end times. Most of us believe that we're living in the end of days, that we're living in the end times that the Bible prophesies about and warns us about and says it's coming. And if the Bible says something's coming, it's coming. It's going to happen just like God said. There's nothing man can do to change it. Man is not God. Man is a creation of God. And God is God. He's the only God, by the way. There's only one. That's right. And there are not many ways to him. There's only one way to him, and that's through Jesus Christ. John 14, 7, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. That's what Jesus said. Now, we follow Jesus. You need to believe him. He's either, he's either absolutely true or he's the biggest liar and hypocrite ever lived. I believe he's absolutely true. And I believe what Jesus said is absolutely true. You can't just pick and choose what the parts you like. Like they're always talking about, don't judge anybody. Judge not lest you be judged. And, uh, and uh, all the, you know, love one another with a fervent heart. All the, you know, all the, you know, all the things that they want you to show them. But then they don't want to follow that one that Jesus says, if you love me, do what I say. If you love me, keep my commandments. They, they don't want to hear about that. They don't want anybody telling them what to do. Don't tell me how to live. Well, First Peter is the Apostle Peter telling us how to live our lives in the end times. He's telling us how, to, how we are to behave in, uh, in troublesome times, in times of tribulation. And, and, uh, and the world has known nothing but trouble and tribulation since Adam blew it in the garden. If you'll remember, the world was so evil that God had to destroy it with a flood during Noah's time. I mean, it got so evil. I mean, that's early on in history. That's the, we're still in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. Mankind got so evil and wicked and violent that God saw it necessary to exterminate all of mankind except for eight people, uh, Noah and his family, on the ark. He saved them because he needed seed to seed for a, a, uh, the recuperation of the human race. And he, he, wanted, he wanted to save his dream. And so he saved his dream in seed form in the form of eight souls that he spared on the ark because one man dared to obey God and build a boat that never had existed before. He took the ridicule of the whole world. He preached to them for 120 years. He warned them that the flood was coming. They mocked at him, laughed at him. But I think he employed a few of them, and they worked for him. Can you imagine being one of the individuals, one of the craftsmen that actually worked on the ark project and then watching it float off in the flood without you? Because you wouldn't believe the preacher. 120 years he prophesied. 
If we had some prophet today prophesying about something and it took 120 years for it to come to pass, we'd call him a false prophet. We wouldn't listen to a word he said, and they didn't. People haven't changed. People think, man, if somebody prophesies something and it don't happen by sundown, he's a false prophet. Stone him. Well, by the way, there's no scripture for stoning a prophet. The only place in the Bible that talks about stoning a prophet is when, when it says, if, a, if one of your prophets leads you astray and causes you to worship Baal, put him to death, which is what they did on Mount Carmel. They put 360 prophets to death because they were leading the people to worship Baal. But it never says anything about if a, if a prophet prophesies something and it, his word doesn't come to pass soon, stone him. Isaiah prophesied about Jesus coming and the suffering of Jesus, Isaiah 53, and that was hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened. And Isaiah is one of the great prophets. He died before any of that came to pass. Daniel died before all that came to pass. They all died before the, all their prophecies came to pass. Elijah, he said, he said you know, uh, the dogs are going to eat the body of, of uh, Jezebel. Well, it was after he was already gone that they threw her down off the wall and the dogs ate her flesh and licked up the blood, just like the prophet said, but he was already gone. Didn't make him a false prophet, did it? So well, you need, we, need to get, we need to be patient. Let things play out. And that's what's happening. You know, a lot of the things that have been prophesied in Scripture, things similar to it have already happened many, many times. Many times there's been genocides. Many times the Jews have had to run to the hills and hide. Many times the Jews were scattered all over the world. How many times have the Jews been persecuted? Many, many times, even in our lifetime. It's happening now. How many times have Christians been martyred, murdered, killed? Hundreds, thousands of Christians have died in, 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 around the world just in the last couple of years to persecution. So they're having tribulation, I would say. I would say tribulation has come to a lot of folks. And I'm not talking about mild tribulation. I'm talking about great tribulation. There are people in this country who are being tribulated upon right now. How about those January 6th patriots that have been rounded up and put in prison without giving uh, legal counsel and without any rights read to them and, and they're being persecuted and mistreated? by our own government right now. Did y'all know that was happening? It, that, that's how close it could come to you. You just be in the wrong place at the wrong time, uh, doing the right thing, and you may wind up, you may wind up uh, in tribulation where no one can help you. 
You don't have to go out of the country to find trouble. <laughs> trouble finds us. And so uh, these, these are the times in which we are living today, and we could be living in the final hour of, of God's plan before he brings Jesus back and establishes uh, the, uh, uh, the rule of Jesus Christ upon the earth where he's given, where he's given uh, uh, total control over all the earth. He does own it now. He bought it with his own blood. He owns every individual, every Buddhist, every Hindu, every Muslim, every atheist, every heathen. He owns them all because he paid for them with his own blood. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What was that all about? Jesus bought back the rights to claim every human being. He saves the ones that accept him. He's, he, does, he, doesn't do, he doesn't force his will on you. You still have right of choice. See, he invented free choice. You still have the right of choice. You can choose to accept his ownership of your life and surrender like we were singing, or you can rebel and you can reject the only way because maybe you think your way is better, so you reject God's way. That's real smart. That's real smart. Kudos. Bad decision. But uh, uh, we don't know how much time there is left for the world. But you can calculate pretty easy. Just look in the mirror, and you can figure out close, pretty close how much time there is for you. Now, Jesus may not come physically for all of us in our lifetime. We don't, we don't, have any, we don't know that. 2,000 years has passed, and lots of generations have believed that he was coming in their generation, and he didn't come. My mother, my mother and my, my, my dad, their generation, they believed that they were, they, they were going to see the rapture before they died. And Jesus did come for them individually. One at a time. <laughs> and more than likely, most of us are going to go that way. He's going to send a taxi for us, and we're going to all, you know, we're going to go one at a time. Not a taxi. Um, after after my, my first wife, Norma, passed away, several months went by, and I had a dream. And I'd, I was still, whenever I thought about her death, I thought about the circumstances there in the emergency room. I, I thought about, you know, them trying to revive her with the paddles and stuff. And we, we, me and her two kids were standing there, and we saw all this. And it was a horrible, a horrible thing. And, of course, they, they revived her a couple of times. The last time, they put us out of the room, and they didn't try. They just put us in the hallway in code blue. We're out in the hallway, and they come out and tell us that she's passed. And uh, <laughs> that's how I remembered. That's, that's what I would remember. Every time I closed my eyes, that's what I'd see. So I had a dream. Several months later, I had a dream. And in this dream, 
she came to me. I had taken an elevator to the top of a skyscraper and I'd stepped out on top of this building and the wind was blowing. I could feel, I, I, could, I could feel that I was high up and she was there. And she looked just like she did the last time we went to church. And she, uh, except her eyes, her blue eyes were just like on fire. I mean, it was like dancing all over the place. And she was so excited she couldn't stand still. I mean, she was like jumping up and down. And she just went on and on telling me about those two bronze angels with white hair that carried her through space into the presence. She put it this way. They carried me into the presence of the Lord. And that's all she could talk about. I mean, she was just so excited about these two big bronze angels. She says, and I couldn't look at them because I could see Jesus waiting for me. And I couldn't take my eyes off of Jesus. And these two bronze angels just carried me into his presence. And suddenly I realized, I, well, I woke up right then. And suddenly I realized she had absolutely no thought or remembrance of how she died. All she remembered was her ride. <laughs> Amen. She remembered how she was ushered into the presence of the Lord. That's how she said it always, you know, lowered. That was 19 years ago today. Five o'clock. She's been in heaven all this time. You see, her time came. Against my wishes, against her wishes, against all of us that were praying. But her, when her time came, she went to be with the Lord. Your time is coming. You can't stop it. The, your, day, your day has been already arranged. You've all, I, I imagine the two bronze angels that are going to carry you into the presence of the Lord have already been given the assignment. God knows when it's going to happen. And you can't stop it. So the end of times for you, it may be before Jesus returns to the earth to set up his kingdom on the earth. That, how many of you understand that? Oh, and you can't, you can't judge by your age. I, I had a seven-year-old nephew a couple years ago. Last year, a couple years ago. Seven-year-old nephew taken in a car wreck. You can't, you can't just assume you've got X number of years. You can believe for it. I think, it's, I think it's okay with God for you to believe for it and set your faith on it and, uh, and strive for it, but uh, there's no guarantees. The wicked live a long time because God's merciful. Yeah. I mean, uh, he's given them years and years and years. I remember, you know, David Rockefeller lived to be 103 years old, had three heart transplants, you think, why, why did God let that man live so long? Because he was going to hell. And God was merciful. That's the only reason. It's the only reason.
So we are expected that no matter what life comes our way, we are expected to overcome. Revelation chapter 4, 11, we've referred to that repeatedly. Revelation 12, 11, excuse me, says they overcame him, and it's speaking about the devil, the accuser of the brethren. By the way, he, he's always coming to you and accusing you. Telling you you're not worthy. Telling you you're, you're, you're a hypocrite. Telling you, reminding you of all your faults and all your past sins that are under the blood. And if, it, if, it's, if it's been placed under the blood of Jesus, that means it's washed and, and it's been expunged from your record. You see, if you're in Christ, you have no record. Your record has been removed. Now, the world may remember, the police department may still have record of you because they're not God. They're not forgiving. But God forgives, and he washes us of our sins. But Satan is like the police department. He keeps reminding us of our record. And you just got to ignore him. But he comes continually to accuse us. But Revelation 12, 11 says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. They overcame, past tense, they overcame the accuser, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Everybody say blood. Blood. Testimony. Testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. What does that mean? They never would recant. An overcomer doesn't back off. An overcomer doesn't change his story if they're, if they're, you know, lighting the torch. You know what I'm saying? If they've released the lions and the lions are coming your way, an overcomer doesn't change his testimony. He doesn't love his life even unto the death. He's willing to die because he knows where he's going after he dies. He knows what's next. How do you know? Because the Bible tells us so. We know that to be, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. And so the overcomer has a testimony. Uh, if you'll look at Acts 1.8, and then we'll get to Peter, promise. <laughs> Ruth says, I don't believe you. <laughs> it's because over at the River Church, uh, I said we're going to get to First Peter chapter four about four or five times before we find it. Well, that's why they pay me the big bucks. Amen. Acts one eight. Do we have it up here? But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Amen. That's for Jimmy, that's Nepal. And then he's going to work his way back to Jerusalem. Amen. So... Uh, the overcomer 
is a, is a person who's been empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to be a witness. A witness. You see, an overcomer is a witness. Now, the word witness is where we, this word witness in the Greek is where we get our word martyr. That's someone who doesn't love his life even unto death. He doesn't, he doesn't hang on to his life. He surrenders all. He, he surrenders everything to the Lord. He's not trying to save his life. He's given his life to God. Amen? And he lives his life as a witness or a living martyr. I, you know, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice. And so we're supposed, to, we're supposed to live our life for the Lord. Well, in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, he's talking about how the overcomer lives his life only to please God. 1 Peter 4.1 says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise. Uh-oh. Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. See, a, a, an overcomer is an individual who, in spite of what's going on around him, he lives his life as a sacrifice to God. Jesus sacrificed for us. We sacrifice for him. What do we sacrifice? Our self-will, our selfish ambitions, our selfish desires, and we follow his ways. We, there's a whole sermon in that. He says, uh, For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You see, we, you know, we've, put our, we've put our flesh to death. We've allowed our flesh to die so that we can, we can no longer be a servant to sin. And we come alive spiritually. We talked about that. We've become lively stones. We've become members of a spiritual house. We become the dwelling place of God by the Holy Spirit. We're no longer following our fleshly desires, but we're being led by the Spirit. They that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. We're sons of God. Amen? Amen. Uh, <laughs> the Amplified Bible, 1 Peter 4, 1 in the Amplified Bible says, So, <laughs> since Christ suffered in the flesh for us, for you, arm yourselves with the same thought and purpose patiently to suffer rather than fail to please God. For whoever has suffered in the flesh, having the mind of Christ, is done with intentional sin and has stopped pleasing himself and the world and pleases God, so that he can no longer spend the rest of his natural life living by his human appetites and desires, but he lives for what God wills. Amen. Well, guess what? When you make that purpose and that determination and you start living to please God, the world notices. The people around you see the difference. Remember when you first came to the Lord? Now, unless you were a child, 
If you came to the Lord as an adult, there was a big change in you. The things you once loved, you no longer love. The things you once ran from, you, you, you embraced. You might have been a drunkard, a, 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 an addict, uh, a brawler, a whoremonger, a fornicator, an adulterer. But when you came to the Lord and surrendered your life to the Lord, there was a big change. Amen. And if there wasn't, you didn't get saved. A lot of folks have an emotional experience. They're sitting under a, an anointed message, a sermon, and there's an altar call going on, and it touches their emotions, and they have an emotional response, and they go down, and they kneel at the altar, or they shake a preacher's hand, and they pray a prayer, and, uh, but, and they leave. But once they get away from there, the emotion wears off. They're still the same as they always were. They didn't change. See, the change we're looking for is not an emotional outburst. The change you're looking for is a change, a, a radical altering of your whole life. Amen. The way you look at things, the way you feel about things, the taste. You begin to desire holy things like you can't get enough scripture. He talks about here in uh, uh, later on, uh, you know, he talked about how uh, how we have a sincere desire for the milk of the word. You know, a truly born-again saved person uh, is like a baby wanting milk. And when a baby wants milk, you can't tell the baby, wait till Sunday. We pass out the milk cartons at church on Sunday. You got to wait till Sunday. Now, when a baby wants milk, baby's going to want milk, and he'll make your life miserable until you give him milk. Yeah. Y'all remember how Samuel was when he wanted milk? You were a big baby about it. You had no patience at all. If you could have got a hold of a gun, you would have shot him for making you wait. That's why babies are born small. So they won't kill us. Amen? Well, a newborn Christian should have that same appetite, that same urge for the, uh, to, do, to consume God's Word. You can't get enough of it. I remember when I, when I was first saved, I went to church every night. Only problem was that our church didn't have church every night. So I'd get the newspaper, and I would, I would read where the revivals were going on. I'd read where special, and I, I would go. I went, I went to Baptist revivals. I went to, uh, I went to Methodist events. I, went, I even went to, some, I went, went to a Catholic home group. It was held by a bunch of uh, uh, spirit-filled Catholic chiropractors, the Albright family. And they had, a, they had a home group on Saturday night, and I heard about it. And I started going to that Saturday night home group because I just, I just had this appetite. And I was growing spiritually. I was growing by leaps and bounds because I had a steady diet of the Word of God and the presence of God. Amen. By the way, those chiropractors, the Albrights, their, their home group grew into a church. And that church today has over 13,000 members. If I'd have stayed with them, you know, who knows? You never know how things are going to grow. But see, when people get a steady diet of God's Word, they grow. 
They grow physically, numerically, spiritually, financially. They grow, they grow in every possible way because the Word of God is His seed, and it produces results in your life. Amen? So the overcomer is, 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 is a person who only, his only desire is to please God, and it brings such change, radical change in his life, that the world notices it. Now notice what the world does about it. 1 Peter 4, 3. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. This is what we used to be. When we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Talking about you. Talking about us. To some degree, one degree or another, we were guilty as we were guilty of sin. And we hung out with those that did. And we did what sinners do. You know what sinners do? They sin. And they sin joyfully. They sin with gusto. Some of the best Christians used to be some of the worst sinners. Amen. They served God with the same zeal and the same excitement and the same uh, all-in spirit about it that they used to live in the world. Well, when you change directions, verse 4, wherein they, the people you used to hang with, think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riots speaking evil of you. See, they notice the change in you and they think it's strange that you don't want to hang out with them anymore. They take offense to it. They try to get you to drink. You know, here, have another drink. Yeah, have a drink. Have a drink. He's, oh, you know, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> and they turn on you. That's what he says. They speak evil of you. Can I read that in the Amplified? Sure. Verse 3, For the time that is past already suffices for doing what the Gentiles like to do. In other words, you've given, them, you've given sin enough of your time. Living as you have done in shameless, insolent wantonness, in lustful desires, drunkenness, reveling, drinking bouts, and abominable lawless idolatries. They are astonished and think it very queer that you do not now run hand in hand with them in the same excesses of dissipation, and they abuse you. This, this is where a lot of the persecution and abuse comes from, because, because you are such a witness, they see it. They notice it, and they react to it negatively. Yeah. You know, when people come to the Lord, a lot of times they have to part company with their old friends. Oh, yeah. There's either there's either there's only two things that can happen. You win them over, you convert them to Christ, or they're gonna they're gonna drop you like a hot potato. And that, that happened to me. When I first came to the Lord, I was a teenager. 
And the people that I ran with, the people I rode motorcycles with, the people I did stuff with, uh, I, I, I confronted them. I said, look, I can't hang out with you anymore. I can't live this way anymore. Now, you're welcome to come to church with me. You're welcome to come to Jesus. You're welcome to join me. I'd, I'd love for you to join me. But I can't go with you anymore. Well, you know, one or two of, one or two of them got saved and are serving the Lord today. The rest of them rejected it, made fun of me. I was still going, you know, I was still, I was still in school. They labeled me preacher. And they would come up to me in the hall, hey, preach us a sermon. And I'd say, well, Galatians 6, 7 says, God is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That was the one I would give them. And uh, they would shove me into the locker. I'd, get, I'd lean over to get a drink at the water fountain. They'd shove my face into the water fountain. I mean, they, I mean, they were mean. But then when things would happen in their life, they would single me out when I was by myself, and we could be alone, and they would start asking me questions. It was amazing. When, there was a, when they were in a group, they would persecute me. When it was just me and them, they would inquire. And some of them I was able to lead to the Lord. Several of them are in the ministry today. Uh, one of them, Dwight Shaver, is a Baptist pastor. Another one, uh, Buddy Rowland, is a Catholic priest. He's over the whole parish of Austin, Texas. They call him Father Buddy. <laughs> These are people that my witness and my testimony impacted for the good. Many of the others died. Many of them are dead already. Many went to prison. And so uh, you, you can't answer for what happens to those people. You just be the witness. And you overcome their opposition to you because you are an overcomer. Can you say amen? amen. Praise the Lord. Well, First Peter 4 verse 5 says, Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For for this gospel, for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Why was the gospel preached to us? To reveal to us that we're dead in trespasses and sins, and to give us an opportunity to come alive in God. Well, your life is a is a presentation of that message. Now, you've got to understand what I'm saying. When you are with people that are lost, you are a constant reminder that they are dead in sins. It doesn't say, I didn't say you are supposed to remind them. It said the very, your very existence, your very presence, because of the change that's occurred in your life, the fact that you are standing up there in their midst is a light that blinds their eyes. It's an irritation like salt. Didn't Jesus say you're the light of the world and you're the salt of the world? Well, the world doesn't want the light. The world wants to hide in the darkness. That's why when you go to all their dives and dens, they've got the lights turned out. 
That's why when we go to church, we ought to turn the lights on. I'm just saying. I don't agree with these people that, that when they get to church together, they dim the lights. It's where you can't even see where you're going. And all the, all the, all the attention is put on the, the platform. And they put on a show for you. But you're sitting out there in the dark. I don't like that. Because, because the world lies in darkness. We, we are the children of light. So turn the lights on. Notice we got bright lights. Almost too bright. But I want to be able to see. <laughs> Amen. I like being able to read my notes here and read my Bible. It helps. Doesn't it help? Okay. But the reason that you are not taken out of the world the moment you get saved is because God wants you to remain in the world to shine as lights to them and to be salt or irritant. Salt is an irritant. Get salt in your eyes and it burns. Well, we burn and blind people. Well, that's why they react so negatively against Christians. It's because we're exposing them. To who? To themselves. People need to wake up and realize they're lost. You see, you can't repent if you don't know you need to repent. You can't turn if you don't know you need to turn. If you were driving down a highway on a rainy night and you were coming to a bridge and somebody, you came upon somebody out in the middle of the road with flashlights and they were waving, standing in the middle of the road waving those flashlights, would you just run them down? You better not, because the bridge may be out. You are that person standing in their way, waving the blinding light, telling them the bridge is out. And if you don't do your job, they're going to plunge into an eternity without God. Amen? Yeah, it is dangerous to stand in the middle of the highway in a blinding rain trying to stop traffic. I've done it. It's scary as all get out. But if you're going, if you're going to, if you're going to save lives, you got to be willing to take the risk and not love your life so much that you let others perish. Why should your comfort be more important than their eternal destiny? That's quotable. Amen. <laughs> okay, so they're going to they're they're going to react to you. Don't hate them for it. It's just you're a blinding light and you're salt. So, you know, don't hate them for for their reaction. So, you have to live soberly. Amen. 1 Peter 4:7 says, "But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober." You see, we are sober, and we're not talking about the effect of alcohol here. We're talking about we, we approach life with a soberness because we do know the end is near. We do know that the sands of time are running out, if not only for the world, but for individuals. We look at a person, and we don't know if we'll ever see them again.
Because death is real. Death is lurking. Death has been unleashed on the world. This COVID thing is all about killing people. Death was unleashed upon the world to, with the intent of killing people. And hundreds of thousands, millions maybe, have died and are dying because death is a reality. Every day I hear of someone who's passed on, lost a lot of friends, who were in, at various ages and in various con health conditions. Some of them look like a rock, you know. They just look like they're going to be here forever, and boom, they're gone. So we, we look at life soberly. We look beyond this present day, and we see an eternity waiting out there. Amen. And we ignore the static. Praise God. Praise the Lord. He says, he says in the Amplified, verse 7, The end and culmination of all things has now come near. Keep sound-minded and self-restrained and alert, therefore, for the practice of prayer. Above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins, forgives and disregards the offenses of others. Practice hospitality to one another. Those of the household of faith, be hospitable. Be a lover of strangers with brotherly affection for the unknown guests, the foreigners, the poor, and all others who come your way who are of Christ's body. And in each instant, do it ungrudgingly, cordially, and graciously without complaining, but as representing Him. Amen. Wow. Yeah. Didn't Jesus say, they're going to know you're my disciples? Yeah. Yeah. How? By your love, by the love you have for each other. You see, that's that witness thing. The overcomer, if you're going to overcome in this, in this day and age, you're going to be a person who loves fervently, who loves sincerely, who loves without putting on airs about it. And you love the house of God. You love the people of God. doesn't matter what label they're wearing. If they love Jesus, <laughs> you're obligated to love them and show hospitality. Amen. 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 You got to love the Baptist. You got to love the Methodist. And the Catholics. And the Pentecostals. Amen. You got to love people. And love ourselves. People ask, you know, why should I go to church? And that's a real offensive thing to ask a preacher. But forget about this, this end of the church here. Forget, forget about everything beyond this altar. What about those people out there you're sitting with? Do you love them? A lot of people have preacher love. Ah, oh, we love our preacher. You have any idea how many times I've been told that by people that aren't here anymore? Oh, we love our preacher. We love you, preacher. 
I've found out that them loving me and respecting me isn't good enough. We're not going to be a church, and we're not going to we're not going to be uh, uh, a a good witness until you're loving each other. And you know why you know why I I, I go to church. I go to church because I love you, and I want to see you. And when you're not here, I miss you. I really, I really ask Ruth. When we're when we're leaving, we're going we're going home. It's not you know how good was my sermon. It's not, you know, didn't uh, you know, didn't Sister Lisa look good in that dress? You know, and, and you know, but you you know you ask her what are we talking about? We're talking about who wasn't there. We're talking about why. I wonder why they weren't there. I wonder if they're sick. Surely something happened or they would have called us. Amen. By the way, Sister Brenda, uh, she had she had a health situation yesterday and had to go to the hospital and be checked out. That's why she's not here this morning. She's recovering from a, a day at the ER. Y'all know what that's like. She's good now. She's fine. They checked her out. She seemed fine. But that's, that's why Brenda in here... Somebody said, who's Brenda? It's one of those people you're supposed to come here because you love them. You want to see them. He doesn't say, love only the people who've been coming here 20 years. No, you got to love, you got to show hospitality to the stranger. Isn't that what he said here? And he's talking about in the body of Christ. He's not talking about the stranger you see on the street corner with a little sign. That's a scam artist. They're scam artists. They're taught how to make those signs. And if you'll notice, most of them are young and able-bodied. It's because they can make more money doing that than they can flipping hamburgers. Because people are generally suckers. <laughs> Amen. This passage, he's not talking about that. Now, we do have a responsibility to the poor. We're supposed to care about people who are generally in need, genuinely in need. Amen? But when it comes to the house of God, when it comes to the, the, the Christians, we're supposed to have fervent love for each other. Fervent love. You know what fervent means? It means white hot. Melting hot. <laughs> Is that how you feel about... Is that how you feel about Brother Don back there? Do you have fervent love for him? I know Joyce does. She's lived with him for 75 years, seems like. Amen. Amen. But do you have fer do you love do you love Robert fervently? Do you love Sandy fervently? Then you're not going to want to absent yourself from him for weeks at a time. Amen? See, that's the soapbox. That preacher is, it's easy for a preacher to get on that soapbox. And y'all do know I'm a preacher. Okay, praise God. And, but it's right here in the Bible. Thank you, Peter. Praise the Lord. 1 Peter 4.10 says, 
As every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God gives, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, if, you've received, if you're gifted, if you're anointed, if you're talented, it's not for you, it's for others. And a, an, overcoming, a, an overcoming Christian is going gonna, is gonna to give himself, his talents, his abilities, his anointings for the benefit of others. You can't do that sitting at home watching church on TV. you got to be there so you can contribute. We're talking about body ministry. We're talking about every person has a part to play. There are no insignificant people in the house of God. Everyone matters. Everyone has something to offer. You say, well, I don't have anything to offer. Hey, your presence, your love, your smile, your hug, your embrace. Some people are gifted in that area. I mean, there's some folks, they can, they can smile and, and, and light up your whole life. But then there, then there are talents and abilities that need to be utilized. God gave it to you. He didn't give it to you to sit on it and hide it under a bushel. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad Aaron uh, and Stephanie left, moved to Arizona, because it forced Robert and Irene to bring their guitar and piano from home and minister to us. And by the way, they may not necessarily feel called to do it. They're doing it because it needed to be done and they give their lives for our benefit. If you think it's easy, you try it. It's not easy. But that talent, that ability was always there. But our necessity, our necessity made room for their uh, coming out party, so to speak. Amen. Yeah. Makes me wonder what else we got out here. I, not I noticed, uh, I, noticed uh, I saw a video of Sharon Jay playing that accordion, and I thought, Ooh, you know. Of course, I knew she could do that. Bless her heart. She's given her life for years and years and years uh, serving. And so she's, she's not a slacker. Don't, don't get me wrong here. <laughs> she's probably at home with her feet up right now. I, I hope she is. She isn't? She's cooking your lunch? David and, yeah. Y'all need to hug her real good when everybody goes home. Amen. She needs a special badge, that woman. Whew. Speaking of that, uh, I really enjoyed that wedding. You know, Andrew is such a good, solid, he's like a block of wood, you know. He's, he's so solid, so stable, so mature. He's like a stack of logs, a stack of firewood. And she is like a match. 
tiny little match. But boy, did she light a fire under that stack of wood. Amen? And uh, I've I, I rarely seen two people that are so perfectly per for each other. They complement each other. Their personalities. Um, uh, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed the ceremony because she's the most enthusiastic bride I think I've ever seen. <laughs> and uh, it was just, it, I'm just so happy. I'm so happy for both of them. I'm happy for Andrew. And I'm happy for the Armour family because uh, she's, she's a catch. And I just thank God for it. Praise the Lord. And they're on their honeymoon now, and, and uh, I, I just, I'm thankful that they were able to do that. God's blessed, God's blessed them. God's blessed Andrew. And uh, he, he's a guy who didn't spend all of his money, saved it. So he was able to provide her a home. And, uh, you know, you she hit the jackpot. I don't know if she knows that, but she hit the jackpot. And he won the prize. So <laughs> how about that? Anyway, that's not even about my sermon. And, uh, and, but in a sense, you know, because, you know, Andrew is an overcomer. He, he has overcome, and he does overcome. And he had to overcome a lot of obstacles just, just to get his bride here. And he was, he was patient and steadfast and, and unswerving. And he, he's being rewarded for it. So thank God for that. Amen. He, and he, does, he lives his life to benefit others. And that's what an overcomer does. How can I help you? Instead of what can you do for me? How can I help you? That's a Christian. Well, don't you think the world notices people like that? You see, you shouldn't have to announce to people that you're a Christian. They should see it. They should see it in you. Because you're a living witness. You're, you're, your life says it. The overcomer rejoices in suffering. Look at verse 12. And we're going to finish here in a second. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he's evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or an evildoer or as a busybody, in other people's matters. Yet if any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. And let's read on. Beloved, do not be amazed and bewildered. This is the Amplified. Do not be amazed and bewildered at the fiery ordeal which is taking place to test your quality as though some strange, unusual, and alien to you and your position were befalling you. When I, when I read this, I, I think of Paul and Silas. Y'all have heard of them. That's right. Paul and Silas went to Philippi under the direction of a vision from God. 
there was a man, a Macedonian man, standing in a vision, beckoning them to come. Paul believed in visions and was directed by visions. And so he wakes Silas up and he says, I know we're planning on going east to Asia, but I had a dream. And in the dream, we're told to go west. And west meant eventually Europe. But it started with Philippi. So they go to Philippi, they preach, and they get arrested for it. They get beaten, and they get chained in the pit in the prison. They're, they're down in the hole where all the sewage drained, where the rats were. They got open wounds in their back. They've been whipped and beaten, and they've got open wounds. And they're hanging on a slimy, wet wall where all the sewage pours down into that hole. Silas, he's hanging there on the wall. He looks over at Paul. Well, it's another fine mess you've got me into. And Paul looks at him. I'm sorry, Ollie. I didn't mean you. I'm imitating Laurel and Hardy. Y'all do know that, okay? You know. She's wondering, what in the world is he doing? No, the Bible says at midnight they begin to sing praises, not country western songs. Praises. They begin to sing praises and give thanks to God. It says they, they did it so loudly that all the other prisoners in the prison heard it. It was amplified throughout the prison. Everybody heard these Christians in the worst possible conditions singing praises unto God. They all heard it. And then there was a shaking, an earthquake. The roof didn't fall in. The walls didn't fall down. But the chains fell off, and the doors sprung open. Not just for Paul and Silas, but for everybody in the prison. You talk about, you see, when God does earthquakes, he doesn't destroy people, he saves people. Pinpoint earthquake. Pinpoint. Only the locks. God said, send a lock-opening earthquake. And that's what happened. All the prisoners were released and not one of them escaped. They all stayed behind because they wanted to know more about this Jesus. The jailer, he comes running out. He's, he's got his sword drawn. He's going he's to commit Harry Carey. And Paul had to stop him and say, Oh, don't kill yourself. We're all still here. You haven't lost any prisoners. The jailer fell on his knees and how can I be saved? Paul told him how to be saved. Him and his whole household got saved. Doesn't say it, but I, I believe all those prisoners got saved. And a church was started in Philippi, which became one of the greater churches that Paul established. It's called the Philippian church. Amen? A bad situation, a horrible situation, a trial 
But instead of them thinking that's strange, Lord, why are you allowing me to suffer? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? They just rejoiced. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer with Jesus. And then what happened? God used it, turned it. God who works all things together for our good. God turned it and made it into a, the birth of a church. Whatever comes your way, it's not all about you. But if you'll overcome in it with the right attitude, God will send whatever help you need. And the result is going to be opposite of what the enemy intended. Amen? We're watching it happen right now. We're watching things happen in the political realm and in the in, in, uh, you know, in our society where, where evil people get up and, do, and say evil things meant to tear down someone else. And it only <laughs> backfires on them. How about that moral Largo thing where the FBI invaded Trump's home? The next day, Trump received more donations than any man has ever received in politics in history in that one day. Did it backfire on them? You better believe it backfired on them, and many of them are going to lose their jobs over it. What's his name got up the other day and gave a speech and labeled all the Make America Great people, labeled them as violent extremists who are uh, terror, terrorists and we're, we're, the, we're the enemy. How many of you would like to make America great again? You're bad. You're a threat. You're a terrorist. Well, this individual happens to occupy the White House. And he made that speech, most, one of the most, the worst speech any president has ever made. And did it, did it achieve its desired results? No. It's solidifying people where even people that are on the other side are beginning to join with the, it, it, it was meant to divide, but it's actually uniting people. I saw Mike Tyson on TV the other day saying, you know, I started out a liberal, but he said, I'm, I think I'm a conservative now. <laughs> Mike Tyson, the earbiter, you know. <laughs> Man. So what am I saying? I'm saying that's what God can do if we will hold our cool and keep a right attitude and praise him in the middle of all the negative circumstances and don't be a whiner and a complainer and a why me, Lord, and why, why are you letting this happen to me? But rejoice and worship God and keep a right attitude. People around you will notice it. They'll ask you, why in the world aren't you pulling your hair out? And you can tell them your answer. You have peace. Amen. Praise God.